And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, truly the cry of our hearts this morning as we gather here is, Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, we come boldly this morning, not by our merit or anything that we have done, but we come boldly this morning in Christ, completely dependent on you, yet rejoicing in your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, in this hour, help our unbelief. Open our eyes to our sin. Point out where we are falling short. And Lord, give us the grace to change and to grow. Especially as we look at a topic this morning like parenting. A place where it is so painfully obvious how weak we are. Lord, we need your grace. New mercies each morning. So sustain us, Lord. In this hour, work in us for your glory through the word. Molding us as children and as parents. To the image of Jesus Christ. Accomplish your purpose for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've told this story before, one of my first forays as a young Christian into evangelism. I was about 12 years old, and I had the opportunity to go skiing. Uh, we skipped out on a day of school, uh, of school, and one of my friend's parents took uh, my friend and I and one of our other friends skiing. The problem, though, was that there was three of us, and on the ski lifts, there were only two seats. So two of us would ride together, but then someone else was left alone. So at the beginning of the uh, trip, as we got there, we, we came up with a plan. We would take turns riding alone, but that wasn't all. Part of our plan, like good young Christians, was that on the way up, the person who was alone would try to tell the person that they were with about Jesus. When my turn came, I was completely terrified. And so I sat there, and I was sitting next to a man. I have no idea how old he was. He seemed kind of old to me, but I was only 12 at the time. And uh, we got halfway up the mountain, and finally I got enough courage up, and I turned to him, and I said, Are you a Christian? Do you know how he responded? He turned to me and said, Well, America is a Christian nation, so aren't we all Christians? At 12 years old, I had no idea how to even begin to address that. So I simply let the conversation die. But here's my question for you this morning as we get started. What is a Christian? Was he right? What is a Christian? How would you answer that question? In fact, even right now as we are at the beginning, I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to pause... And I want you to actually answer that question. With someone sitting next to you, turn to them and answer the question, 
What is a Christian? We're going to take about two minutes, and I really want you to do this. So we're going to take about two minutes, a minute or two. Obviously not some deep conversation, just generally very, what is a Christian? And so uh, we'll take about a minute or two until the murmur starts to die down, and then we'll jump back in. But take, take a couple minutes there and talk to someone next to you. What is a Christian? Go ahead. As many of you are probably aware, the term Christian is one of the oldest terms used to refer to a follower of Christ. In fact, it literally means follower of Christ or the idea of a soldier of Christ. Someone who's identified with Jesus Christ. It was first used in Antioch, as recorded for us in Acts 11.26. It was here that these believers were first referred to as Christians. And from there, in Acts 11.26, it quickly grew in prominence. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul really is unpacking that very same question. What does it mean to be a Christian, to identify with Jesus Christ? Paul's made it clear throughout the first several chapters of Ephesians that to be a Christian, it's not about some political identity, and yet it's also not about some moral conformity. You're not a Christian simply because you act like Jesus. To truly be a Christian is to believe in Jesus. To be a Christian is to confess your sin, believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that He died on the cross for you because of your sin, that He bore your condemnation, that He rose again victorious, and that He has freely offered the gift of life salvation to you by faith alone. To be a Christian is to put all of your hope in what Jesus has done. These are the truths that Paul unpacks in Ephesians 1 to 3. And as we've seen then in Ephesians 4 to 6, Paul goes on to show how who you are as a Christian, as someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, that that must now affect what you do. I think it's important for us to understand this context as we turn our attention to Ephesians 6, 1-4. 
Paul here is not just giving general parenting advice. If you want general parenting advice, there's thousands of books that have been written. In fact, when you became a parent, if you've ever become a parent, you probably were given about ten of them. Paul's not giving general advice here. Paul is specifically speaking to households that are led by Christian parents. This is not just parenting. This is Christian parenting. What does it mean to live in a household under the authority of parents who are followers of Christ? These are instructions on how to parent as you follow Christ. So this morning as we work our way through this passage, we'll see instructions for children and instructions for parents. The first thing we see is instructions for children. Children, obey your parents. That word obey, it's related to a word that we have seen earlier in this passage. As Paul addressed wives, and he tells wives to submit to their husbands. And yet, the term obey, though somewhat related to that term, is actually much um, more intense. The idea here is the intense of continual, total obedience. Children, obey your parents. Submit your will fully to them. Obey them. Also, note the unity of the parents here, father and mother. Note the unity of parents in their parenting. These are not two individuals pulling in different directions, but a unit, one flesh, as we've already seen, pulling together. Children, obey your parents in everything is the idea here. Total obedience. Without questioning. Obey them. He doesn't say children obey your parents when it makes sense. Children respect your parents but do what you think is right. Children, obey your parents. This is, again, where it's important for us to recognize that this is in the context of Christian parenting. You see, the remarkable thing here is not that Paul would expect obedience. Across the the world at that time, and, and for the most part in our world as well, children are expected to obey their parents. The remarkable thing is that Paul here would address children directly. These children are a part of the community. They are present with the assembly. So as this letter is read, they are sitting there. Children, you must obey your parents. In fact, notice the reason here. Why? In the Lord... 
Obeying your parents is an act of worship to the Lord, recognizing that your parents, that, that the parents the Lord has given you, they are the ones who are called to parent you. The whole home here is seen as operating before the Lord. So children, as you submit to your parents, you are submitting to the Lord. This was a, something that was often quoted to me as a young man. Children, obey your parents. Probably in a lot of the homes here, represented here. This is repeated over and over. Children, obey your parents. Yet I think it is important for us to include those three words there in the Lord. Children, don't obey your parents because your parents tell you that. Obey your parents because that is what God has said. This is how God has set up and designed the home. In fact, that's exactly what Paul goes on to say. Children, obey your parents. Why? For this is right. This is your obligation. This is how the Lord intended it to be in His goodness. How do I know this is right? Well, that's where Paul goes on now to reference a commandment. Exodus 20, 12. This has been God's design since the beginning. Children, don't just obey your parents, but honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. This is how God has intended it. How do you know? Because all the way back in Exodus, this was even in the Ten Commandments. This is how God has designed the home to operate. Honor your father and mother. The idea there of honoring is to show high regard for it is a continuing attitude. It is more than mere obedience. You can obey while dishonoring. But you cannot honor without obedience. It is the attitude with which you obey. It is how you approach your parents. Honor them in how you act, honor them, and how you speak. Honor your father and mother. Show high regard for them. Why? Because this is how God has designed it. This is his intention. In fact, what Paul goes on to show us here is that not only is this one of the commandments, but it is the first commandment with promise. Now maybe that kind of catches you off guard. What do you mean it is the first commandment with promise? It's not the first commandment, it's the fifth commandment. But it is the first commandment and really even the only commandment that comes with a specific positive promise. This commandment, the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother, 
is the link that connects the first four commandments to the final six commandments. This is where we see that who God is must affect what we do. You see, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 can be divided into two halves. Verses 1 to 4, the first four commandments, and the last six commandments. The first four commandments show us how to relate to God. Often the phrase is, they're vertical. The focus is between God and man. How do we relate to God? But the last six, commandments 5 to 10, deal with how to relate to each other. They're more horizontal. In Exodus 20:12, the first commandment there, commandment 5, connects who God is to what we must do. You see, it deals with the family. And in the family, the most basic unit of society, the parents stand as God's representatives with the responsibility to teach their children to fear the Lord. So children, therefore, are to honor their parents, recognizing that God has given them the authority. As they honor their parents, they are honoring the Lord. So then the reverse of that is to fail to honor your parents. It's not simply to fail to honor these human people. It is to fail to honor the Lord. It is to rebel against Him. That's why disobedience is dealt with so seriously under the law. To dishonor your parents. Even death itself is the penalty. As we see in Exodus 21, verses 15 to 17. Leviticus 19.3 Leviticus 20, verse 9. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 21. All of this show the great weights, the importance of submitting and honoring your parents. This is how God has designed it. And so this commandment, children, honor your father and mother, it is the first commandment with a positive promise showing us that who God is ties into what He expects of us here on earth and as we relate with one another. Note the promise here that's listed in verse 3. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth That, you may be, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's a difference here between what we see in Exodus 20.12 and what Paul here quotes in Ephesians 6. In Exodus 20.12, the promise is tied directly to the land of Israel. To the promise that God has given his people, I will bring you into the land, I will give you this land. But here in Ephesians 6, Paul broadens the promise. It's a specific promise in Exodus, but here Paul transitions that specific promise into a general principle. That when you honor your parents, submitting to God's plan for the family, recognizing that it is best, 
You are setting yourself up for success. This is the first step toward a long and successful life. It's simply to listen to your parents, to honor them. It is not necessarily a promise that you will live long. But it is a promise that God's way is best. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is how God has designed the family to function. And it is good. And it is to your benefit. In God's good plan. So children, obey your parents. But secondly, Paul gives instructions for parents as well. Children, obey. Verse 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not provoke. It's interesting here that Paul starts by focusing on fathers. The focus here is on father because of the greater responsibility of a father, of a husband, husband as head of the household. But the idea is generally parents. Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. Fathers, you take the lead in this. You see that even when you tie it back to verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey not your fathers, but your parents. It is parenting that is the idea here. Father and mother. But father, it is your responsibility to take the lead in this. And should you provoke your children to wrath, fathers, it is your you are the one who will answer for it. It is your failure. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not make them angry, is the idea there. To cause them to be angry. We've already seen in Ephesians that anger is a dangerous thing. In Ephesians 4, verses 26 to 27, be angry, but do not sin. Later in verse 31, it's brought up again, anger, wrath. Something that does not represent who we are in Christ. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. It's an interesting statement. I mean, what does that look like to provoke, to provoke my children to wrath? There's several things that that could look like. Several things that could lead to that provocation. It could look like neglect. It could look like a heavy hand in discipline. It could look like unclear expectations or inconsistency. 
Generally, the idea here is to cause frustration. And you guys get this. In fact, just earlier, David was talking about, as we were getting ready to sing a song, he was talking about having a, a boss who makes things difficult. Probably at some point in your life, you have worked under a boss who made your job harder than it needed to be. He is someone who provoked you to wrath. Someone who caused frustration. I could think of a specific job that I had at one point under a man who could be described as harsh. You never knew as you walked in, was this going to be the good guy or the bad guy? Was he having a good day or a bad day? Because if he was having a good day, he'd give you the shirt off his back. But if he was having a bad day, he would tear you down. There was a general lack of communication. A frustration of, of never knowing exactly what he was looking for. He expected you to read his mind. He had unfair expectations of those who worked for them. There was no mercy there, no understanding. He had favorites. Those who under his leadership could get away with anything. He was inconsistent in enforcement of the rules. That is someone who provokes wrath. Someone who causes frustration. That should not describe your parenting. How your day is going must not dictate how you parent your children. You must be fair with them. You must be clear. You must be consistent. You must be generous in your parenting. It is far too easy to allow the circumstances of our day to dictate our parenting. To lash out, to be unfair, to be harsh when I've had a rough day. But that's fleshly parenting. That is not Christian parenting. Fleshly parenting provokes your children to wrath. But Paul gives not only a negative example here, but he gives a positive example. Christian parenting is to bring them up. That's an interesting word there. In fact, it's the exact same word that we see in verse 29 of chapter 5. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. That's the exact same word that we see here. To bring them up is the idea of nourishment. 
It is the idea of fostering growth in them, giving them what they need to grow and to thrive. What is it that I am to foster them to grow toward? Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training is the idea. The act of providing guidance for. To show them how to live responsibly. It is to teach them what to do. Admonition is the idea of teaching them what not to do. It is to counsel about the avoidance of or cessation of an improper course of conduct. Teach them to live this way and to do this, but not to do this. Admonition includes consistent and appropriate discipline. In fact, if you work your way through the Proverbs, there is passage after passage after passage that talks about the importance and the necessity of discipline. You may say, well, when I discipline my children, that provokes them to wrath. Not in the sense that Paul is dealing with here. They need to be corrected when they go wrong. They need to be put back on the right path, shown the right direction. Now you can provoke wrath in your discipline when you allow your flesh to take control of your discipline. But in spirit-empowered, loving discipline, it is not wrath that is provoked. But it is godliness that is encouraged. Discipline is clearly included in the idea here of admonition. Show them what to do. Show them what not to do. Make it clear. It's one of the things that I appreciate very much about my parents. I was looking back on growing up. I got a lot of spankings. But one of the things I appreciate very much about my parents is they would always send me back to their room. If they were upset, as you know as a parent, sometimes it's very easy to get upset at your kids. They would, they would calm down before coming in the room. They would sit down. They would open a Bible with me. And they would talk to me about why it was that they needed to discipline me. What it was that I had done wrong. They would show me in Scripture. That is training and admonition. It is not flying off the cuff. It is purposeful. It is patient. It is scripture-based. In fact, maybe that's your, your next question. Well, I see the need to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, but how do I do that? Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 17. Starting even in verse 14, as you turn here, Paul is already commended 
Timothy, the one to whom he's writing here, his mother and his grandmother, for their godly influence on Timothy. And when you look at verse 14, it says, But you, Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. These holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ. These holy scriptures which verse 16 goes on to tell us that all of them, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and all of it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do I nourish my children in the training and admonition of the Lord? Through the Word of God. Your parenting must be grounded in the Bible. That's where your authority comes from. It's through the Word of God that the Lord will change the heart of your children. Not through your impassioned pleas. Not through your own experience, though those can be used as illustrations. But the power of your parenting is in the Word of God. Nourish them by training them and admonishing them through the Word of God. The secret power of parenting is in the Spirit at work through the Word of God. You can give guidance to your children's mind, but only God can change your child's heart. So as you parent, be grounded in the, law, in the Word, run back to the Word time and time again. The training and admonition. And finally, look at these last three words of the Lord. This is why we run to Scripture. Because this is not the training and the admonition of the parent. This is of the Lord. It goes back even to verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Christian parenting from the responsibility of children to obey to the responsibility of parents to nurture and to nourish all of it goes back to your identity in Christ. All of this finds its ground, its foundation in the Lord. Your goal is to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Your goal is not simply to have obedient children who grow to physical maturity. Your goal is to raise children who love and worship the Lord. Your goal is to make disciples. Have you ever thought of that? That Christian mother and father, parenting is discipleship. You are making disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to go and make disciples, but it starts in the home. Your parenting is discipleship. Just as submission to the Lord must motivate children in their obedience, so it must motivate parents 
and their parenting. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. It is found in the wake of Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21. This is part of what it looks like to walk in wisdom, filled with the Spirit, in submission to one another. The goal of Christian parenting is not good, healthy children, but healthy Christian children. So children... Recognize, as we see in verses 1 to 3, that in God's good plan, you are called to submit to your parents in full obedience. Do not just obey them with your actions, but honor them in your heart and mind, recognizing that as Christian parents, everything they do is motivated by love that they have your best interest in mind. That God has designed it that for you to thrive in life begins with you submitting to and obeying your parents. This is truly for your good, not just in life, but in eternity. So children, hear Paul clearly and hear me this morning. Children, obey your parents. At the same time, parents see the high calling of Christian parenting and fully commit to the task ahead. Be humble. Rely on the Spirit. And be faithful. Be faithful to teach. Be faithful to correct. And be faithful to practice what you preach. You want to talk about provoking your children to wrath. Perhaps nothing will provoke your children to wrath more effectively than unrepentant hypocrisy in your own life. When you expect them to do something and you do the exact opposite yourself, you're sending mixed messages. Do you understand, parents, that the danger of provoking your children to wrath is not just that they will grow up to be bad people? The danger of provoking your children to wrath is that one day they will fall under the wrath of a holy God because you failed to point them to Jesus Christ because your hypocrisy, because your heavy hand because your neglect, because your unclear expectations and inconsistency led them astray. Do you see the high calling of Christian parenting? The privilege of discipleship. So by the grace of God alone, In the power of the Spirit, you can and must do what God has called you to. Both as a child in a Christian home and as a Christian parent.
One other note. What about grandparents? How do grandparents fit into this expectation in the Christian home? This morning we started our, pa- our, our service by reading Psalm 145, verses 1 to 4. A passage that includes a call for one generation to speak to the next generation. While the responsibility of training and admonishing might not rest primarily on your shoulders, the responsibility to testify never goes away. There are circumstances where grandparents have to step in and they have to parent. Where that responsibility of training and admonition, of nourishing in the Lord falls on their shoulders. And in that case, I would call you grandparents in that to be faithful. Step in and fill that role. But all grandparents, whether that responsibility falls to you by necessity or not, you do have a responsibility to testify to the truth to tell the next generation and the next generation and maybe even the next generation of who your God is and what he has done. So as we close this service, a couple calls to response. If you have failed in this, And this morning, come forward and repent and turn and change. Don't just go home and wallow in your own failure. Come and confess. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will give you grace to change and to grow. Maybe it's your first time hearing this. Then take seriously the call and commit to do it. Maybe it's something you've, you've known, but it's just a good reminder. Then recommit to do it. I think part of the response of a passage like this is also, if the Lord gave you the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, look back on that and be thankful. Praise the Lord for grandparents who testified to you, for parents who brought you up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Be thankful for that. What about those who don't have children? You still have the responsibility of making disciples whether that is disciples of your own children or someone else's. You have that same responsibility as grandparents do to testify to what your Lord has done. As I mentioned in my prayer at the beginning, parenting is one of those things where so often it is so obvious when we get it wrong.
I don't think anyone looks back and says, I nailed that. But by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, we can make not just good children, but disciples of Jesus Christ. So be faithful, parents. Children, obey. Parents, nourish. And let us be a church that supports parents in that nourishing and encourages children to obey.